Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart. In union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, here we are. It's Friday already. And uh, yesterday we were talking about uh, the armor of God. Well, today's the feast day of the apostles, Simon and Jude. And they would know something about the armor of God uh, because these two are now saints in heaven and of the elite group of those known as apostles of Jesus Christ. Um, now, you know, just to speak a little bit about them, th there's not much known about them. Jude, uh, was uh, really, his name was Judas, but they, uh, after the scandal of Judas Iscariot, his name was changed to Jude, so he wouldn't be confused with him. But, uh, like I said, there's not much written about them in the Gospels. So, Jude is named in the Gospel of Luke and also in Acts, which was all written by St. Luke. Uh, Matthew and Mark call him Thaddeus. And he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels except when they're lumped together as, you know, the apostles were with Jesus. Um, Simon is mentioned in all four lists of the apostles. On two of them, he's called the Zealot. Now, Zealots were a Jewish sect of somewhat radical Jews that were highly uh, engaged for the nationalism of the Jewish people. And they, the messianic promise of the Old Testament to them meant that the Jews would be free and, and free and independent nation. And God alone was their king. So paying taxes to the Romans to them was like a blasphemy against God. And some of the zealots would were the spiritual heirs of the Maccabees, who were very good people. Uh, and they carried on the ideals of the Jewish religion and their independence peacefully. But the problem is there were many counterparts of this uh, group of zealots that were really terrorists. They raided, they killed, they attacked foreigners and collaborating Jews. And they're the chief group responsible for the rebellion against Rome, which ended in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, along with the temple. So kind of an interesting two uh, men that were picked by Jesus. And when we look at these men, the whole group actually, they're really, uh, except for Peter, James, and John, they're almost anonymous. We don't know anything really about them. Uh, but one thing we can be uh, certain of is that their holiness in becoming the saints, uh, it, it simply has to be taken as a gift from God. You know, I always say everything's a gift except our sins. Uh, so ask for more gifts. 
you know, when when Jesus chose these people, they were fairly unlikely people that I think anybody would choose to start up a new venture. So this zealot, a crooked tax collector, an impetuous fisherman, the sons of thunder, and Judas Iscariot. Like when you look at this group, very interesting. So the, it's a reminder to us that we cannot uh, receive too often that holiness does not depend on human merit or culture or personality or personal efforts or achievements. It is entirely God's creation and gift to man. So God is the one who reaches out to us and we respond by grace to him. And the grace keeps building the more we keep responding to God. Uh, even our perseverance in our faith is a gift from God. So it's all a gift. And he does require our participation, but you know, if we keep responding to the grace with an open heart to the grace, we will keep growing in grace and that will be eventually uh, we'll reach this tipping point where we'll, we'll be so solid in our faith and love of God that it would be almost impossible to destroy that or to turn away from the Lord. That's the kind of faith Jesus talks about when he, he says, well, I find faith. Uh, will, will the Son of Man find faith uh, uh, when he returns? Uh, the faith that would move mountains, you know, that's the faith he's looking for. And that's the faith we need right now because the days are strange, is putting it politely. I was just reading about uh, this story that was in the news that's absolutely amazing to me. Um, there's a woman who in France, this just goes to show you some of the uh, some of the anti-Catholicism hatred that's out there. Now, France used to be called the daughter of the church, the eldest daughter of the church, uh, was almost completely Catholic for centuries, and now look at what's happened to it. It's it's becoming a Muslim state. And I'm not saying this was a Muslim. I don't know who this woman is. Um, she's definitely French. Her name was Eloise Bouton, and she went into a Catholic church. And uh, it was during the Christmas season. Uh, and she went in topless, exposed her, her bare breasts, and had pro-choice slogans written all over her body. And um, she simulated an abortion of Jesus at the front of the church. And she wore a crown of thorns and a blue veil to mock both Jesus and Mary. This is a quite a disturbed woman. And she carried pieces of animal livers to symbolize the aborted baby as she stood in front of the church altar and performed her fake abortion. And then she urinated on the ground of the church in the sanctuary in front of all the congregants. Well, as one would expect, she was uh, jailed and convicted of a crime. And uh, that we would expect that. That was private property. You know, a Catholic church is not public domain. It's a privately owned piece of property that the church built with her own money. So, you know, the money of the parishioners who supported that church. Well, there's a court. Uh, I, get, I don't know where this court exists, but it's called the, um, the ECHR the ECHR, 
which uh, came out saying that this was uh, not a, a just ruling by convicting this woman. Um, and that uh, the French court, so it's the European Court of Human Rights, imagine that. So this, this is apparently a court that is all over all of Europe, including France. And this is the problem with a common union. You know, this is why America should never merge with another country ever. Uh, when you do, you give up your own rights, your sovereign rights as a nation. So now the European Court of Human Rights has taken her side and said that she was unjustly found guilty by the French court for an unlawful sexual display. That's one of the crimes she was found guilty of. So what do they do? This high European court said she was merely engaging in freedom of expression and she should have never been prosecuted and that the French courts have to now pay her $9,500 equivalent in damages. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody walking in your church half naked pretending to abort the second person of the Trinity and then urinating in your sanctuary? And we think that's not going to be be no accountability for that. What kind of moral depravity and the blasphemous of the whole thing? I, I tell you, there's people out there that the hatred towards God is palpable. And they're coming for the church. This woman is a prime example. Uh, there's other people like her. Uh, for the most part, I think a lot of them are afraid of being arrested. But, you know, we, if we give them a climate where they feel like there's no penalties, you're going to see a lot more of this. You're going to see a lot. This, this is Satan reigning through people. Remember, I was talking about how he affects the culture through people. He can do this through people. He gets people to do things that they probably normally wouldn't do. But under his influence, uh, many evil acts are committed because they've turned away from the light and the truth that is Jesus Christ and embraced the darkness. So I would say it would be good to uh, add Miss Eloise Bouton to your rosary today for her conversion, that she would come into the light and stop behaving as such a lewd, vulgar, and offensive person. Poor thing. She has no idea what she's doing. All right, so we're going to dive back in to the armor of God. So I was speaking about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, and without righteousness, think about it. We really leave ourselves open to Satan's attacks. You know, so to be righteous is, first of all, to have a so you have a pure heart. You repent and are forgiven of any sins, and now you do what is right and just in the eyes of God. When we speak of righteous people um, in the Bible, uh, the, some of the first that come to mind is uh, St. Joseph. He was a righteous man. Uh, who else? I think Daniel was uh, considered a righteous man. Noah was a just man. Uh, that's also goes with being righteous. Um, 
I think John the Baptist could be considered righteous. I don't think he was ever called righteous, but Jesus said he was the greatest among all men born to women. Um, so there's, there's, it's not a large group, to be honest. When you think about all the characters in the Old and New Testaments, there's not a lot that are called righteous, but uh, the ones I named, uh, for the most part, these were considered the righteous men of the Holy Scriptures. So when we think about being righteous, this this is literally covering, what does the breastplate cover? It's the most uh, valuable organs of the body in terms of staying alive. Your heart, your heart, your all your internal organs with digestion and some your lungs, your ability to breathe, the breastplate covers all of that. It's a protection for the vital organs of the body. Uh, Psalm 119 tells us that God's commandments are righteousness. So to be righteous is to obey God's laws of love. Uh, Isaiah, in the 59th um, chapter, says that God himself puts on righteousness as a breastplate. This may be part of what inspired St. Paul to use this analogy. So, um, Isaiah 59 starts off by explaining that your iniquities have separated you from your God. Iniquity is the opposite of righteousness. So when we give in to sin without repenting, we're removing our breastplate and leaving ourselves open for more attacks. And I would say deadly attacks because the breastplate, again, is protecting the heart and the lungs. So next we have the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the footgear. Now, shoes might not be the most exciting piece of armor, but um, they are very important. Uh, the military successes, both of Alexander the Great and also Julius Caesar, were due in large part to their armies being well shod, having having footgear, and thus they were un able un to undertake these very long marches at incredible speed over rough terrain. If you don't have on decent shoes, or no shoes for that matter, uh, or sandals, you're not gonna do well in a war. You know, you gotta be able to move and pivot and and hustle along. So the, the foot care is important. Uh, and when we have on good foot gear, we're prepared and, and we're ready. We're ready for the battle. Uh, the, the church has been commissioned to announce the good news of God's kingdom to all peoples. And to do that, you've got to move. You've got to keep going out. And we have to have on our spiritual shoes when we do that. Uh, the Bible, <clears throat> uh, in the, the notes on the Bible from Albert Barnes' notes, uh, it tells us that the sandals of the Roman soldier often were fitted with nails or spikes to make them hold firm to the ground. So uh, these shoes that the soldiers wore, it's not like putting on a pair of Nikes. These were really, um, you know, weapons to be used to advance the kingdom, right? Years ago, I had such an interesting image. I was praying during adoration, and um, I saw a big, dark pit, about you know, like 20 yards wide, 
and it went down so far down I couldn't see the bottom of the pit. I could I could hear people, but I couldn't see them. And coming out of the pit with these ropes that were attached to crosses, and the crosses were planted around the perimeter of this big pit. And I saw people running up towards the edge of the pit, and they would grab a cross. Some were little, some were big, some were very big. And they would put the cross over their shoulder, and they would start marching away from the pit. And eventually, at the end of that rope would be a person who was being pulled out of the pit. And uh, there were certain people who were really, really moving the, with the crosses at a, at a very, very fast speed. You know, there was no uh, drudgery in it. They were really hustling along, pulling that cross and getting that person out of the pit. And they had on gold, gold uh, shoes. They looked like cleats, but they were gold. And I was, as I'm watching all this in my mind, I said to the Lord, well, what, what are those gold shoes? And he said that those are the footgear of zeal, the footgear of zeal. And uh, he says, you need this. Because when you have the footgear of zeal, uh, which is really a love for God's people, and you could say all of humanity, is when you're willing to sacrifice yourself for somebody else. So the footgear of zeal. And those folks that had the cleats were really pulling out the most people in the quickest amount of time. Uh, and they kept running back to pick up a new cross. Think about that in terms of our own life. Do we really run to pick up our, our new cross? <laughs> I would say, for the most part, no, we don't. Or have you asked somebody, have you asked the Lord for a new cross? There's a, a sister over in Medjugorje who, she publishes a newsletter every month. Her name's Sister Emmanuel. And um, I've had a few meals with her when I've been over there. In fact, Father Tom, my friend from Boston, he cooked her his homemade spaghetti and meatballs. And uh, we all enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Anyway, she was telling us that, you know, um, we were talking about crosses in general. And she said that, you know, in the past, I hadn't seen her in about two years when I was at this dinner with her at her home. And she says, you know, since I've seen you, I've, I've, the Lord's given me a couple of new crosses and um, and she said, he's also asked me that when I receive a cross to thank him for it and then ask for another. And I said, well, how's that going? And she said, well, I've gotten to the point where I'm thanking him, but I haven't asked for another. <laughs> so this and this was years ago. I don't know where she is in this state of her faith walk. I'm sure she's already been asking for many new crosses. Who knows? Um, maybe I'll see her next week. We'll find out. But anyway, uh, you know, that footgear of zeal is what the Lord said we need in order to have a great love for people, a love that would be greater for their salvation than for our own uh, comfort. Okay, so the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So when our faith in God's power and love is strong, it's relatively impossible for Satan to break through our shield and land a blow on us. Faith means more than just believing that God exists, of course. 
It includes a firm belief that everything God does is truly for our good. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. Uh, faith is absolute conviction that God will always do what he has promised. And if you, uh, the letter to the Hebrews uh, begins with faith is confident assurance concerning things we hope for and conviction about things we cannot see. It's confident assurance concerning things we hope for and conviction about things we cannot see. And this is a stumbling block for much of the culture because we're really living in a time when there's just so many people who say, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. That's a danger to the faith because the faith is based on confident assurance concerning things we hope for. That would be heaven and the beatific vision and conviction about things we cannot see. That would be include the angels. Well, I can't see them, but I 100% believe in them. In fact, I talk to them every day. So faith protects us in so many ways. Think about um, my own name, St. Daniel, when he's in the lion's den. His faith was like a force field that protected Daniel from those vicious uh, lions. It was God responding to his faith that closed the mouths of the lions. And then think of his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they get thrown into the fiery furnace. But their faith was so powerful and literally not a hair on their head was singed. Even though they said, if we believe in our God, whether he saves us or not. I mean, that's, that's the kind of faith that really means uh, whatever happens, I don't care. I believe in God and his goodness to me. And whether I live or die, my love does not change for my God. And the other thing about the shield of faith is it's not just for personal protection. You know, if you've ever seen one of those movies, the gladiator movies, I, and I'm not recommending them, they're kind of gory, but you would see soldiers would band together, uh, joining their shields together that would build a force field for an encampment or an embankment. So we're called to strengthen each other with our faith, building up the ones around us. The helmet of salvation. We can receive tremendous hope and comfort by focusing on the incredible sacrifice Jesus gave to save us and the wonderful kingdom that is the goal of our salvation. And this hope protects our minds from all the discouragements and the despair in the world. The helmet of salvation. So every day you should be asking, Lord, put that helmet of salvation on my head, Lord, that I would see everything through the eyes of your passion, death, and resurrection for me, that you did that for me. And then whatever problems you have, they'll be minuscule in compared to that, that thought, that reality, that belief. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is, as I said yesterday, this is the only weapon that we use on the offensive. And uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is a living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Remember how Jesus used the word of God? He used himself to defeat Satan in the, in the desert. 
Christ used scripture quotes three times uh, and brought to mind uh, the scriptures that dealt with the personal situation that he was enduring with, with the devil. And that showed not only what, what he did, but that should point to us that we should be using the word of God in battle. And people don't always realize this, but you can proclaim the word of God, I would say verbally, out loud, in situations that it will have a profound effect on the situation. When I see chaos around me and things looking like they're going into a bad situation, I just say simply, let there be light. And I proclaim it out loud. And nine times out of ten, the whole situation comes down. Or it exposes the real threat that's lying beneath that is not visible. You you can do that too. You know, the word of God is not just words on a page. It's a living person. So when we proclaim the word of God, we're calling for Jesus into the situation. And particularly in the way that it was used in the scriptures. So let there be light brings this great light into things. And the darkness has to flee. So you can do that too. Uh, okay, so the sort of the spirit that and that rounds out the whole uh, armor of God, and we're just about out of time, so that worked out perfectly. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and actually, I'm going to be out of the country, I'm heading to Medjugorje tomorrow, and then I'm going to meet with the president of Radio Maria in Italy. Uh, so I will be gone for almost two weeks, but uh, we'll be having wonderful. Uh, reruns of some of the best shows so stay tuned and uh, god bless you all and let me give you my priestly blessing may almighty god bless you in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen says father dan signing off